the other things in uh, our primate uh, ancestors that stimulate the same sort of things as having a beer is preening. So when you see monkeys preening each other, that has an endorphin rush associated with it. Laughing, singing, uh, provide an endorphin rush. Um, and so I said to him, so it's so a beer is kind of like a cuddle. And he corrected me. So I said, well, a cuddle at a distance. <laughs> With over 25 years in the field, Cryer Malt have been bringing you the world's best local and imported malts. They are your premium brewing partner, and they are very proud supporters of Brews News and of this podcast, which, if you're joining it for the first time, is titled Good Brews Week. I'm your host, Pete Mitchum, and joining me is my co-host each week, Matt Kierkegaard. G'day, Matt. Morning, Pete. How are you? Good, mate. I was going to uh, change up the intro a little bit just for this week, and I was going to do the, uh, now we've just got breaking news, and we go live to our man <laughs> in the field. Um, Matt, I, I can't well, imagine. Well, Crime Malt's our man in the field, so well, I was the man true. in the factory. In the well, yeah, out in the field, uh, which happened to be a factory. But it's ten. What is it? It's ten forty nine now. Now we normally start recording at eight thirty. That's right. I, and I get a call from you. Listen, I've got to go. Something really important's happening. Well, can, not, can you share, or is it embargoed? Or? No, no, no. It's out. It's out. What's you know, um, funnily enough, as happens, I got a text from. Uh, somebody who works at ABC saying, oh, look, can you come on and talk to us about this big announcement at Forex? And I went, sure, if you tell me what the announcement is. <laughs> we didn't fall, we fell off the radar a little bit. Um, but it sounds like, uh, yeah, so there might have been, it came from the Minister for Beer in Queensland, uh, Cameron Dick, the Honourable Cameron Dick. Um, his office uh, called a press conference down at the iconic Forex brewery. Um, it, it, is that a phase of um, iconic, Pete? Um, iconic is one of those often overused words, but I, I think I, in that respect, in, and you look at um, each state, I think has uh, commercial icons. So Melbourne, I think, would probably be um, either the park. what? No, well, because see, that's more like a cultural. But okay. I'm thinking more either the Skipping Girl, um, Neon Light, with, that's been over the what was. The, uh, the Cornwall Vinegar Factory in uh, where Richmond becomes Abbotsford. Right, okay, yes. Um, and then probably the big VB sign on top of the, the silos with the clock um, overlooking the MCG. Okay, right. And I would think in Queensland, for me, it's it's something like the Forex Brewery because from certain aspects, you know, you kind of look across and boom, you see the big neon lights above. It's probably changed a little bit now because I think you've got a lot more uh, – Light pollution's unfair, but I guess more competition for for eyeballs and, and perhaps it's been a little bit covered up. But I think certainly iconic in the sense that it is a, a beacon, an icon, and something instantly recognisable. Like you don't look at that and go, oh, uh, is that the Forex Brewery in Devonport or is it the Forex Brewery in, you know, Mandurah? No, I think it's the one in Brisbane. Very, very true, and you know, it graced the label of Forex products for a long, long time, um, you know, Castle Main Perkins uh, Brewery, and to, to the point that it was so well known that they took the, for a long time, they took the billboard opposite the brewery um, and had the label with the um, the building outline on it, you know, with one of those you are here um, arrows uh, pointing to it because it was so identifiable. So, yeah, look, I, yeah. I, 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 and, I, and wasn't there also, just in terms of it being a, a cultural um, icon as well as a commercial icon, uh, when Alan Bond for a brief period in the 80s there owned everything pretty much um, with other people's money, was it a dollar down, a dollar a day for the rest of his life? Never quite finished paying it all off, as far as I remember. Um, somebody can confirm that for us. But wasn't there a furor because he changed the address on the he did indeed the yes. cans to yes. uh, to, to the uh, WA address, the Swan Brewery? No, well, it was to the head office of uh, Swan Brewing, which was in St George's Terrace, Perth. Um, and I think he even took down the blinking Mr. Forex um, around about that time as well. And that was one of the things that created such an uproar. And I understand that he did that back in the day because he was seen by the stock markets as such a shock um, and didn't have a lot of credibility. He was a you know, spivvy property developer. Um, that, that was why he started putting bond on everything and his address because breweries were just licenses to print money. And by doing that, it made everybody, you know, made everybody reinforce uh, the, the thought that um, he was a legitimate businessman rather than just a, a dodgy 
former sign writer and a property spruker. Mm. But it had such a huge backlash and uh, that and a few other things. Actually, if you look on the website and we'll pull it out, um, there was an article that I wrote uh, back in my time with Beer and Brewer magazine probably about 13 or 14 years ago when, um, and then also another one that Paul Barry, the investigative journalist, uh, I commissioned him to to write because he wrote a very good book about it. And uh, looking at the history of the Forex Brewery and Bond's involvement of it and the changes that he made that hastened the decline of his empire by uh, upsetting so many people um, that they stopped buying his beers. And that was true of uh, Tui's in New South Wales. Um, mm. and he really misread the room, it's fair to say. It is fair to say. And he, he, it was solely through his actions that gave uh, Bernie Powers the to create the most successful brewery launch in uh, over 100 years. And I believe that that's still the case because he uh, very rapidly acquired 10% of the beer market in Queensland. Mm. So now when you called me and said, oh, look, you know, do you mind, we, we, we'll just uh, we'll record later in the morning, um, there's a big announcement. And I must admit, when as soon as you said to me, you know, there's something going on uh, down at the Forex Brewery, and I thought, oh, they're pulling the pin, they're closing they're it down. Close it. They're announcing a redevelopment and it's going to be, you know, uh, social housing and student yeah. housing and residential with exciting, you know, business opportunities and whatever. But then when you said that uh, the Minister Cameron Dick would be like, okay, no, it's, it's obviously good news. Yeah, no, there's no and politicians around when things are closing. No, that's right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no. It's so, unavailable for comment. <laughs> and then they also had Alistair Lynch, former captain of the Brisbane Lions and uh, premiership winning uh, full forward. Um, and a terrific, terrific bloke and married uh, one of my best friend's wife's best friend and he sold me my first mobile phone which really? was a yeah like literally a brick it was yeah <laughs> it was yeah it was, it was back in the days when uh we're just getting old again prof. Had, to have other, had to have other jobs yeah uh, no anyway, he's, a, he's, a, he's a bloke yeah no a lovely bloke still still very fit looking as well looks like he could uh you know put the boots back on but um he was there so the announcement was that um forex has been granted a 15-year license under the planning act um, which basically means that they can stay there. Um, you know, when... so was, it, was there a concern that they wouldn't be able to stay there from a council point of view? Because presumably the brewery's been there a lot longer than any other years, yep. developments that may uh, feel impacted by its presence. But cities change. And when it was built there, um, that part of Milton was an outer part of Brisbane. You know, like it was um, oh, In industrial. the same way that Abbotsford was, you know, it was the, the back end of the slums. Absolutely, and the city has grown around it, and yeah. now you've got you know intensive. It is a little bit of pocket of in industry down there, um, and it's one of the few, the, the, the few inner city industrial um, pockets. But uh, there's increasing residential area around it, and but I probably live as the crow flies, probably about three kilometres from the brewery, um, just over the hill. And you know when you wake up in the morning, you can still you know if if you've got a bit of a light westerly, you can just head, get. The, the, the with a brewer's move. breakfast. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you, you don't smell too many hops there these days. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you certainly do get the the, the, the mashing in. Um, and now, all hop flowers, fresh hop cones would obviously be heavier than the air that you know would take their aroma. <laughs> so. Well, once upon a time they did use uh, what I'm trying to think of the name um, cluster, um, and they were, you know it was on all of their advertising that they used uh, you know cluster hops. Um, these days, I think that cluster hops may have gone through a chemical process before they uh, reached the brewery. But anyway, um, but yes, so as the city's grown around, you know, it, it does have a um, lifestyle footprint, um, you know, on people around there. And uh, so I guess there, there was some question about whether or not the, uh, the, the local residents would uh, want to see it moved. Um, now, speaking to, uh, now let's see, his name was Ian Roberts, um, who is the logistics uh, manager at uh, Line? He said that they did a letterbox drop of about ten thousand residents nearby and had overwhelming support for it to stay. Um, so that's uh, yeah. So so that was uh, um, pretty good. So because said, because with the drop in production to their other breweries around the country and obviously the the market forces of you know Jesus, we're sitting on some fairly expensive land here that we're perhaps not best utilizing. There were certainly the unions. I remember last this time last year, um, you and I were both getting uh, daily media mm. releases about you know stop works and they're well, trying the to close it down and the, all that sort of thing. So it's look, good to see for the um, however many employees are involved there at that, at that particular one hundred and fifty. 
Which is, is yeah, so actually you, you touch on a couple of uh, interesting points there. So a, a big brewery like that, I don't know what percentage of the beer it makes in in Australia, but it would certainly, you know, make 15 to 20% of the beer in, in, in Australia, I'd imagine. Uh, Yadala makes something like a quarter. Abbotsford and Yadala between them make about a quarter. So I would have thought that the Forex brewery would be a significant, um, you know, multi, yeah. you know, two-figure two um, percentage. Um, but it employs 150 um, jobs there. So, do know, they have their head office there as well, or is it just the head office is in Sydney, um, which is something that I don't talk about. So they they've all of so there's so there's no accounts or marketing or, but they do have hospitality there because you and I uh, with Sam we they, they uh, do have last time I was up in Brisbane. Yes, we had a very nice uh, 1853 reproduction IPA, and then they're bringing up carbine stout. Um, this week, I think, a limited release of the famous carbine stout. But anyway, um, yeah, so 100, only 150 jobs. I think Stone and Wood, um, which... Stone and Wood are over 150. Bolters. They are over 150. Top um, 50 already. Yep. Um, then you look at, uh, you know, breweries that have a significant, um, you know, taproom presence, which the Forex Brewery uh, has as well. Um, you know, someone like Newstead, I think they're employing 60 to 70 jobs uh, across their two venues. So... Um, and that, that was something we touched on in the uh, in an article that Claire wrote recently, just sort of looking at inefficiencies and uh, whether it's good or bad. Yeah, um, it makes you wonder, doesn't it? Like just before we get into the, the news headlines, as we must, um, but just how they um, sort of coordinate uh, all that sort of you know all the different uh, processes that they must have within the brewery in terms of um, you know goods inwards and you know payroll and all that sort of thing. I, can you th- can you can you think of any suggestions, <laughs> Matt? Well, actually, that's a really good point because brewery inventory management is increasingly uh, important, especially when you've got a major brewery that's sitting in a city that doesn't have a lot of storage on site and you have a lot of truck movements in and uh, product going out. And uh, I would actually recommend to them that they speak to people, maybe Unleashed Software, um, who can certainly help with that sort of product. And uh, Unleashed Software... I've I've not heard of them, Matt. Tell me more. Well, they, they do brewery-specific software prof, um, and as more and more young people enter the workforce, wholesale is becoming much more like retail, and research suggests that B2B, that's business-to-business buyers prof, um, demand similar buying experience as consumers. You know, once upon a time, you can have your dodgy um, Windows 3.1 um, business-to-business uh, software. You can't do that anymore, and Unleashed can do that for you. So brewers benefit instead of a phone call or back and forth of emails uh, to collect wholesale orders, an online store which connects real-time with your inventory. So um, we, we mentioned that Unleashed were coming on as uh, advertisers and uh, just in time because we can probably put them in touch with Forex to help them. That's right. Now, there's not a, a another toll-free number that I have to <laughs> remember by heart, is it? Would it be something as simple as, you know, like unleashedsoftware.com forward slash brew? That's exactly what it is. Um, oh, and you'll find out how their perfect inventory control to craft the perfect brew can help you out. They've got a free 30-page document that can tell you all about it and a free trial. Excellent. And look, we do welcome them on as uh, supporters of this Good Brews Week. And hopefully, um, yeah, they're happy with our uh, our seamless advertising. <laughs> no, look, and, and all kidding aside, Prof, we, we're very careful with who we work with and uh, – you know, we just don't. We, we get a lot of inquiries about um, people that can fix our SEO, and uh, the the guys at Unleashed. Um, we, we had some really good chats with them before we uh, got on board. And uh, if you are a brewery and you are looking at how you can sort of get your back end working better, um, Unleashed is uh, certainly worth. It. And I just signed up before, and I've already got my ebook. So um, there you go. There you go. So, so Bruce News is everyone probably aware already, but you know, by the look of it and everything, that that uh, Matt runs it off a of Commodore sixty four. So obviously, <laughs> um, Unleashed Software's programs are multifaceted and can help any business. Speaking of helping business, a back update. <laughs> we, we need a jingle. We need, for that. we need a little sting. <laughs> Uh, um, no, but it, look, it does lead the news because this time last week we were recording, and as we were recording, and as evidenced by the uh, amount of feedback that we got on the Facebook page, oh, the Radio yeah. Bridges Facebook page, hey, did you guys know about it? No, we didn't. It was literally happening as we were uh, talking about ABAC and, and other things and recording last week. But uh, So just after we'd finished recording, Matt, um, ABAC... Funnily enough, my, a window pinged up while I was recording that I minimised. I saw Claire was saying there's ABAC rulings um, and I didn't have a chance to look at it. Um, otherwise, we could have discussed it. But it was, yeah, wasn't it a... Uh, 
Yeah, so they pressed the button on the old lightsaber and uh, and took to some um, labels. Yeah, and look, we probably don't. It, it has been a week um, of discussion, um, fairly active discussion on a whole range of uh, groups. So we probably don't need to go back over it. Um, no, but and- can I just point out, Matt, at this point, a big shout out to our contributors, listeners, um, thinkers thought leaders, if you if you will, who have used the uh, the Facebook page um, for some really interesting feedback and that sort of thing. But also, even when discussion is getting robust and, and there are differing opinions, it's all it's just really nice to see that it's all very um, uh, polite. A bit, a bit informed and, and interested and informed. And, you know, even where people don't know the answer, they, you know, they're going to – someone commented that um, during, during the week. So, yeah, no, so thank you to everyone – who listens and also who uh, you know is in the chat room uh, or in the, in the Facebook page, but um, it, unlike and, and I you know and, and that's one of the things, Prof. The, the the disappointing things about it is that there was hysteria and outrage um, in social media land, um, and you know somebody who who I don't know personally, but apparently is a is a real advocate for craft beer and somebody who is much liked, um, but you know started a um, what is it one of the oh, uh, change petitions. Um, you know, tell ABAC to go bite a dick or something like that. And you're saying, well, to be fair, that's exactly the problem with the perception of craft beer, that it just comes across as being, you know, sophomoric, you know, a little bit of, you know, high school. Um, Contrarian for the sake of being oppositional. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and uh, the, the, the response from the actual brewers involved pretty much should have set the tone for all of the barrackers um, in, in, in social media. Yeah, that's just... the point, actually. Yeah, we, we should take our lead from the brewers' responses because it, it, it's been this – is this, is, this is nothing new and it's not as if this has come as a surprise. Um, and so the brewers are sort of, yeah, look, we, we accept the decision because it's – you know, we, we understand. Um, and as we keep banging on that – I will say it again, though, because of how deeply I feel about it and how important it is that, you know, just be careful what you wish for, because the alternative is is going to be far worse than any nanny state that you can imagine. Because at at the moment, with it being self-regulated, if we all behave as as an industry, as a community, we can keep the wolf from the door. But if it goes the other way, and they go, no, like you, you had your chance. We sat you in the naughty corner. We gave you a slap on the wrist. That didn't work. Now we're going to take over. It is going to be aimed fairly and squarely at the lowest common denominator, and it is, it, and it is going to be far more far-reaching than um, than anything that's that exists at the moment. Absolutely, and then you know, I go and I made that point on a couple of Facebook groups of people. You know, there was this mindset: we need to stick it to the man. We need to take it to them. They can't do this to us. And it's going well. <laughs> if I, like, I just particularly not was, if we want to, if we if we want to be big. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, it, do we want to be the, the the shallow end of the of the beer pool forever? And and do that by you know having you know cool kids inside jokes riffing on pop culture. And this actually wasn't an attack against breweries being creative. It wasn't an attack against um, you know breweries' right to express themselves. But all it was saying was that you need to be mindful that alcohol is a highly regulated product. And, you, and yes, there are some pretty well-justified limitations on what you can and can't do with your advertising. And that it, it's not a big brewery conspiracy to screw over small breweries again because they have exactly the same constraints and they're actually more terrified than the craft uh, brewers are. So, yeah. Exactly. Uh, Anyway, um, and, and, and again, Matt, I, I think we should also we finish up before we move on to our next interesting story of the week. Uh, that if anyone out there has perhaps got some product that does need rebranding or relabeling, uh, jump on the phone and call one three hundred eight five two two three five to discover a more efficient way to get your small batch canning labels done by our very good supporters, Rellings Labels and Stickers. They can help you out if you are in a because I did actually that was a thing that came out. Um, the I, I was contacted by. The, the guys at uh, Hop Nation who initially, the indication was that they were going to appeal the decision and they contacted us and said, no, we're actually not, we're going to wear it. We do need to run out the cans because they've got about 10 months worth of cans. It's an, an incredibly popular line, mm. that product. Mm. So, and, you know, they, they don't have to so how run. does that work with ABAC? Once the decision is handed down, now, you're not a it's signatory, not so you don't, it's yeah. not binding, but 
would the guys sort of jump on the dog and bone and say, listen, fair, fair call, fair play to you, we'll, we'll, we'll cop it on the chin, but listen, we've got 10,000 cans, can we, you know, if we agree to change the labelling and here's what we're going to change it to or whatever, can we just run out the last of them? Well, to, to, to be fair, they, they don't have to... Else. They're going to become collector's items. For the, but they, they, don't have, they don't have to do that at all. They, they don't even have to acknowledge uh, ABAC at all. They don't have to respond. They don't have to um, take any action. It, it's a purely voluntary body. Um, and it, it, good on them for acknowledging it, participating yep. in the process and showing complete good faith. But we don't um, want to give Drink Tank a, a 20-second reason that, you know, um, ABAC is useless and ineffectual. Hmm. But actually, Prof, have you had a chance to hear the chat I had with Harry? Um, I've got about two-thirds of the way through it. Purely by coincidence that that happened to be um, the, you the day before. That, that the week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so did, didn't even know that that decision uh, had come down or was coming down. But uh, it was no, great, a really great interview and really interesting uh, points that were brought up. And it's hard because you can see there's ABAC is a little bit torn between being hamstrung as to what they can and can't do, what they could and should do, and then obviously being respectful to the um, inverted commas anonymous complaints that they get. Yep. He respected the process, but that was the thing yeah. that came out. You know, like I wanted to talk to him about all of the about the the, the regulatory environment, the social environment, the cultural environment that beer you know that beer is coming in, and it just isn't in their wheelhouse. They are a industry driven voluntary code designed to make sure that alcohol marketing um, is above reproach as, as much as possible. Um, they they're not responsible for um, the anti you know, alcohol lobby or the neo-prohibitionist uh, lobby. They're not, um, they don't lobby government on behalf of the industry. They don't take a view on anything other than whether marketing um, is appropriate. Yeah, and, and in that way, is it unfair to say they're purely reactionary? Like they're, they're not proactive, they're not reactive. Not proactive at all. No, they, they're, they're there if there's a complaint. They're, they're, they're proactive in the sense that they've got the guidelines but they're reactive in the sense that they can't sort of notice something and sort of say, hey, guys, you know. They get, yeah, they get they, yeah, and hopefully that um, for our listeners particularly, that covered up a few of the – covered off a few of the, the misconceptions or the, the questions that may come up about how they – how it works. Yep. So in that respect, I thought, I thought it was a great chat. Um, now, speaking about labelling and speaking about cans, and we haven't yet, but let's speak about innovation – our next story, Matt, I noticed, because um, I was listening to, <laughs> listening to the radio, I'm thinking, oh, here we go. Uh, radical change to the iconic VB can. Uh, the cans change, so the traditional VB cans, you, you go into your Uncle Dan's now, and you see them, you go, hang on, they're white. They're not green anymore. What what have they done? Uh, the cans change from white to, to their traditional green when refrigerated. So it, it, it's one of those, you know, uh, change colour ink, thermo, thermo um, reactive, what, whatever. Yeah, chroma reactive cans or whatever. So, we, so we when they're, they're at the using, right temperature. Yeah, and they, they've been using them. I mean, Coors was using it for years, you know, back in the yep. sort of 90s or early thousands. So it's, it's hardly... Uh, the winemaker advertised uh, in the last 12 months or so about labels uh, paper labels where the um you know the hills would turn blue or whatever when the the wine was at the at the, the ideal temperature um but the funniest quote for me matt from the article was uh, it seems the new cam was announced last week but went largely unnoticed <laughs> change one word matt Just, let's swap out week and put in year yeah. <laughs> were these in the new south wales market last year and no, apparently they were released last year and had only just uh, been released in uh, in, in victoria so the story came about because uh, 3AW Breakfast have the, the rumour file and somebody rang in suggesting that, uh, you know, the, this um, brand new innovative marketing thing was, was coming in. Um, and then the cynic in me says, oh, and then coincidentally, um, you know, the uh, the brand manager for uh, for VB uh, came on uh, to confirm. So <laughs> I, I don't know whether it was the same voice that uh, – Made the rumour and then confirmed the rumour. But um, if this has been around for a while and nobody noticed, I'm not surprised that they had to kind of, you know, uh, I guess give everyone a bit of a nudge in the ribs. Yeah, yeah. Look, it, 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 it's, it's funny that um, for <laughs> once upon a time this would have been huge news. Um, you know, you'd get media releases, there would have been a, you know, a media launch for it. 
And it just shows how much, yeah, but that was when VB was one in four beers consumed in Australia. Yeah. And uh, these days it's, it's, it's gone through pretty much and what, straight what's to the old, keeper. What's the old marketing adage, Matt, that uh, when you run out of things to say about the product, talk about the packaging? Well, but, uh, God, they've run out of things to say about the, 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 the product years ago. Um, I mean, what, what, what can you say about, you know, no criticism of the beer, but what can you say about a beer that is described as cold and refreshing? That, you know, yeah. it's, its best quality is the fact that it, you chill it to sub-zero. And uh, yeah, and for the the brand manager to sort of be saying the same thing, you know, look, uh, this is great because obviously VB tastes at its absolute best when it's just above freezing. <laughs> but we, which yeah, again, like one nothing of those, does. <laughs> what they're what they're effect, actually saying is that it tastes best when you can't taste it because all of the science um, around tasting is that because taste is a chemical reaction with your palate and chemical reactions slow down, um, you know, and stop. When, the colder they get. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, but that's that, that's always been the, the, the issue with Big Beer. On that, I'm, I wouldn't mind actually checking to see whether is, is and I'll give a shout out to Rowling's labels and stickers again, but could you have like a, a sleeve that is the same thing or does it have to be, is it part of the the metal, part of the can process? Or, well, we'll I suppose if you could do a paper label. Because yeah. it, it would be the ink, wouldn't it? The ink itself. It's not necessarily the the reaction to the, the metal or anything like that, is it? The aluminium. I wonder. Um, someone will know, and I'm yeah, sure somebody it, will tell it, us. The, it would be the dye that they use um, yeah. uh, to, to do it. Um, and, I'd, yeah, we'll have to ask Growlings whether they can uh, get shrink-wrapped. So even craft brewers can have the advantage of chilling the bejesus out of their beers and letting the world know. <laughs> and making a radical change to their iconic <laughs> cans. And <laughs> wonder if anyone notices. <laughs> uh, one of my favourite beer styles, Matt, it is no surprise, is, um, uh, no secret, Pilsners. And another article that we... I thought you might like this story. I did like this one. Pilsners are an elegant outlier to the craft beer hype machine. Uh, <laughs> are Pilsners on the verge of becoming the Bordeaux of the craft beer world, uh, e.g.? Res- e.g. or should it be i.e.? A respected style favoured primarily by older drinkers and contrarian geeks. Uh, or is there a change coming that suggests Pilsners will find solid ground and mainstream success amid the rapidly shifting trends of craft beer of 2019? Your thoughts? Uh, look, this resonated with me because, uh, you know, Bolter and uh, Substream, which are two of my local breweries, their Pilsners are just my must-go-to. Um, uh, on that, to I've, got, I've got four different Pilsners in the fridge at the moment. I've got Bolter. Uh, I've got Hawkers, which is an absolute cracker. Another one. I, I don't see it much up here. Yeah, that's a shame. And uh, Boat Rockers, Boat Rockers, uh, which I think is just called Pilsner, but I think it used to be called Backyard Pilsner. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's just called Boat Rocker Pilsner now. And uh, and the one I've got a couple left over from um, uh, Good Beer Week, uh, the Thornbury Lager. Nice. And again, just a, a lovely beer. And I, I, you know, from th- from Three Ravens. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but they're all, all quite. Different, but they're all just sensational. Yeah, and, and you know, look. Oh, and the champion Hemingways. Yeah, uh, well, I was going to say Hemingways, uh, and then at the Adelaide Beer and Cider Royal Beer and Cider Awards, uh, Indie Kid Pilsner from Prancing Pony. Yep. got a Guernsey as well, a trophy, I think. For or was that just for best Pilsner, or was it best Lager? Uh, I'll have to look sure. back over that and have a look. But uh, yeah, uh, look, I've been championing them for as long as I've been had a voice in this, in this caper um, because I just think they're, and I'll give a shout out to at the end, actually I'll, I'll, quick shout out now. Cause I've been listening to um, some other podcasts. Sorry, Matt. Uh, <laughs> no, but uh, Ian McNally does a really terrific podcast called the chosen, chosen brew, brew. Um, which guests come on and basically talk through the six beers that changed everything is the, is the premise. And, uh, Scotty Hargrave from Bolter made some really cracking and really incisive comments that, you know, we used to have this thing against uh, lagers and pilsners and, and it was almost like a, a tall poppy sort of thing or, a, you know, that that's not us. Yep. And I'll have to listen back again to, to, to how he explained it because it was he put it really beautifully. And I thought, yeah, there's a real uh, – oh, they're not for me because I'm into hops and all that sort of thing. Well – some there's some great pilsners out there that are by their very nature a, a hobby. This is potentially controversial, Prof. Um, but you know, like I, 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 I think that 
with anything that becomes popular. Um, it, Pilsner's good lagers, you know, Stonewood Green Coast Lager, beautiful, you know, that style of beer. There is an elegance and a subtlety to them. Um, they're not a million miles away from what you know, but they, they, they still have a, a, a character and a depth. Having said that, I'll just interrupt you quickly there, Matt. You, you have them side by side with the mainstream and the difference is... is oh, of course. Yeah, magnitude of 10. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you're right, it's not... A million mile away from oh yeah I I recognise the this mouth feel I recognise this intensity or depth of flavour yep sorry go on yep. no no and because and, and it's something that you see in the world of wine as well that you know when a style such as Chardonnay becomes popular and my understanding of the, the Chardonnay grape is it doesn't have a like a it, it, it's it's not a huge flavoursome grape style and but then that you've got these over oaking. Um, where all of the character of the wine came from the um, intervention by the winemaker as opposed to the, uh, you know, sort of ex- fruit-driven... Expression, expression of the fruit, yes. Of the wine. And this may sound like wine wankers, <laughs> Expression of the like, fruit. But, um, Wet granite. The thing about that is it makes... The, 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 the characteristics are so obvious that you don't need to have a trained, educated palate to, to, to get... Um, those characters. When you've got a when you've got a wine that just smacks you in the mouth with oak characters, everybody feels that they're in on the party. You know, I, I get it too. Um, and so those things become very uh, very um, popular. Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc is probably another example where the the, the flavors are just so fruity. It's almost gets it. it's almost a cliche of itself. Like, yeah, but, and, but, it, but it's very yeah, it's very easy to if that's the kind of thing you like, then oh, have you got a oh, can I try that? Oh yes, that's what I'm after. Like yeah. it's instantly recognisable. And, and and I think you know sort of huge IPAs, you know, completely unbalanced IPAs, and a lot of kettle sours are that um, they create excitement because everybody's in on the everyone's in on not, not the joke, but everyone's in on the the. The, the thing that makes them special because you can't miss the sourness and you can't miss, um, you know, radical hop additions. Um, yep. But you, it, it, over time, you do come back to things that are a little bit more elegant and balanced because it's it's not that the pleasure doesn't come from the ordeal. Um, it comes from the simple pleasure of enjoying it. Is, again, yep. I, I probably sound like a very old man, which is proving, well, um, yeah. you know, and in that, in that, <laughs> I'm not sure whether I'm an older drinker or a contrarian beer geek there. In that, but, yeah, in that descriptor, I think, well, okay, we'll, we'll get contrarian geeks here, we'll, we'll let that go through the keyboard. But older drinkers, I would say, make perhaps discerning palates or more experienced palates because it's well, all about see, that, that. That sounds a little bit us and them. It, it, it sort of sounds like we're, we're setting ourselves as being better palates because, as we know, your enjoyment of beer doesn't have – you don't have to be right. You don't have to agree with us. And if you love really obviously soured um, kettle sours and you get pleasure from them, that mm. beer has done its job. Um, and so there's no Correct. right way to appreciate beer. But, yes, I, yep. I, I agree with your premise. That there but to, is. to any of our listeners who – if anyone has access to like a nice, a fairly fresh example of – and I'll use the word iconic yet again, uh, whether it be a, a Weinstefan or, um, you know, one of those traditional, even a Spartan or, you know, if you can get Marsbro, um, Stefan Michel makes an absolutely cracking uh, Munich Hells. Uh, but if you can get those fresh, try try those ones um, just to kind of, I guess, get a bit of an idea of, of, of what we're talking about. Exactly. And just a bit of... Uh... Bruce News rumor file there, Prof. Um, if, if I can, if we can start our own. Yeah, uh, go ahead. Um, um, Bolter on, is so phasing out. A... Oh, what? Bolter's phasing out their Pilsner. No. Yep. Um, they're going to be bringing in a like more of a uh, Munich Hells style lager. Oh, okay. So I've I've got the last five kegs um, lined up for for the Echo. There you go. Well, I got a, I got a phone call from uh, one of the aforementioned breweries, uh, just running past, you know, the, the planning meetings and that sort of thing with the brewery team. Um, hang on, we just better bring Prof first. <laughs> thinking of we're thinking of tweaking the Pilsner recipe. Is that <laughs> is that okay with you? But it, it, it's funny that um, just and, and just on that thought, there is something about Pilsners that they're almost too challenging for a mainstream mainstream. Market, and not challenging and not, enough for yeah, not rewarding the, the craft enough. beer lover. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, and, and so we have seen brewers that are starting to, you know, that they just don't seem to get traction. And, and that's been true of, 
um, the Matilda Bay Pilsner, you know, which w- was all over the map. The um, Bohemian Pilsner, Pilsner with a Z, yeah. And when and when those beers were first, like at their at their zenith, if you like, they were absolutely cracking examples. And two thousand eight, two thousand nine, yep. um, Chuck's Four Wives, or it was just called Four, James Squire Pilsner. It was just called James Pilsner. What a gold! Beat the Germans at their own game. World Beer Cup. Yeah, at the World Beer Cup, gold medal. And anyway, Chuck's uh, Chuck Hahn, the, the original Hahn Premium um, was going to be a much more of a Pilsner beer, but it was too challenging. Yeah, and in fact, he uh, just began back five or six years ago now, relaunched the Hahn Premium Pilsner as the original recipe sort of thing, because that was the that was the beer that actually kickstarted James Smith at the Crafty Pint to initiate the um, the Crafty Blind tastings. When that, yeah, yeah it, he got got uh, some samples sent to him, and they thought, well, let's compare it to some other beers, and and that was the genesis of uh, the thing, which is always, you know, look, a lot of fun and always about drinking responsibly, mm. which leads but us nicely into our next. Do yourself story a favour, listeners, go out and get yourself a pilsner. And I, I, I will actually say, the prof, I do feel a little bit emboldened uh, that yeah, even some of the younger um, beer commentators like uh, Ale of the Time, Luke Robertson. Um, Always shouts out for for a good pilsner. Yep, so, yep. So it's not just us being cranky old man. No, no, that. Luke's becoming a cranky old man himself. <laughs> uh, Matt, secondhand drinking damage is more common <laughs> than you may think. A new study published in the journal of the Journal of Studies on Alcohol and Drugs uh, found that one in five Americans experience secondhand drinking damage each year. The numbers in Australia are likely to be considerably higher. Says who? Along with harassment or insults, other forms of harm that were common among the 8,750 survey participants included feeling threatened or afraid, having clothing or belongings ruined, having house, car or other property vandalised, being pushed, hit or assaulted, being physically harmed, being in a traffic accident, being a passenger in a vehicle with a drunk driver, having family problems or marriage difficulties and having financial trouble. So all of those are due to secondhand drinking, Matt. Look, and, and I don't want to... So basically we're stuffed. Don't worry about global warming. <laughs> All right, no, Prof, I, 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 yeah, I don't want to tee off because, you know, as we often say, alcohol does have, you know, it, it can have. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't, I don't want to make light of any of those issues, but I disagree with the basic premise that uh, you know, oh, you know, there's, he was fine, but um, and, until he had drinks, and then he was a different person. No, he yeah. was the same person. He just when you. Uh, oh, yeah. no, look, again, this is something that we disagree on a little bit. I, I think it can. If you're a dickhead, you're does, a dickhead, Matt. You might be good at hiding uh, it when you're not, uh, when you haven't had a few. And yeah. I, I do agree that there are some people who can have the one or two, and there's that, you know, for those who remember, uh, my name is Earl, um, four was, was, so Randy, <laughs> four cans of beer, that was when he could get away with stuff. But one more than that, and it just all went to shit. And one fewer than that, and he didn't have the the guts to do whatever it was. But okay, yeah, but look, and that's where I think we would disagree a little bit because, and I had a really interesting chat with a, an English evolutionary psychologist um, during the week um, uh, for, for a little project that we were working on. Um, oh, is this apropos of drunken monkey posse? Uh, kind of keep that under wraps for the moment. Yeah. Oh. No, uh, anyway, um, alcohol does you know have uh, it, it, it releases serotonin, it releases endorphins, it lowers our inhibitions, it increases our uh, willingness to take risk. There are a whole lot of changes that it does actually bring about in us. Now, as you say, Prof, if you are prone to um, being a, a dickhead, those things can contribute to it. But um, so, yeah, look, I, I, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but it. Alcohol is in a special category, so I don't want to minimise any of those things. And there are a lot of uh, families, there are a lot of uh, people that have been badly affected by, um, you know, alcohol. The thing that I found most interesting about this is that not everyone, like, it's it's not all alcohol contributes this, but over the last um, six months I've particularly noticed that, you know, the fairs and the groups like this are starting to adopt the language of, the anti-tobacco lobby, where you know every cigarette, every beer kills is doing you harm. Yeah, yeah every beer yep. is doing you harm, and fairers actually have been coming out and saying that you know there is no safe level of drinking, um, and you know so it, it, it's almost if you have a beer, you're going to die of cancer. Is 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 the messaging, and we are seeing um, much more strident militaristic campaigning against alcohol, um, and 
it ignores all of the, the positives that, that come through. And, and that's why I was speaking to um, this uh, English professor was because there are studies that show uh, that people that engage responsibly in alcohol, particularly um, in, in a social, it, it does facilitate greater socialization that has very real palpable benefits for individuals and communities. And these studies really want to ignore any of those benefits in over-dramatising the uh, potential negatives. Yep. And speaking of uh, benefits, better margins see publicans invest in craft beer despite the lure of pokies. This story was a, an interesting one that, that came across the desk this week. That, And I think now it might have been Brucon in Adelaide, so that would be two years ago now or three years ago. Uh, where one of the one of the presenters sort of, and it might have even been, I'm going to say Ben Coyman, I think may have been uh, the one who who led this one, but sort of looked at you know numbers and and the argument against oh, but you know, but I get these rebates and um, you know they'll give me the, the big breweries will give me stuff um, or you know put in a new chiller system, all that sort of stuff. There was a, a, a direct comparison done with you know on the same volumes um, with the you know the starting price of of, of a craft beer versus the mainstream beer but then the extra margin that you can uh the you can charge on the the craft beer uh generally you know people aren't buying uh ponies or glasses of, of craft beer it tends to be the schooner or the pint um that the margins are actually if you if you work it out over the over the, the length of the the journey the better margins mean it's actually more profitable to have craft beer than to behold, you know, just to be beholden to um, the rebate system. Absolutely, and, and there's a lot that comes out of that. And so that's where, look, great article from Claire, um, our, our new journal who is um, has got a business background, and she's just been hitting it out of the park. Um, but this is the sort of story that is is always very interesting because she spoke to the head of um, you know commercial real estate firm CBRE. Um, speaking to to um, publicans, you know he sells hotels and you know is trying so um, tries to understand what creates value in a hotel, and it was interesting that he said it was gaming, um, that but it was banks because banks put their valuations on hotels based on how many poker machines that venue can accommodate, and that's one of the things that makes hotels in Queensland such unattractive dying establishments is the infrastructure and hotels, the government regulation, the, uh, so the, the, the banking expectations about where value comes from um, isn't from how good are you as a member of your community. It's how much revenue can you bring in through pokies. And so hotels are grossly overinflated um, and they're almost locked in to the equation now um, even if publicans do want to get rid of them because they, they see a loss of valuation of that that may well be undeserved. Yeah. Do you think too, Matt, that um, the rise of online gaming and gambling, um, you know, poker games and all those sorts of things that you can actually monetize is taking away? Because I've only been through, and I can't, I can't even think where we were recently, but I ended up walking back through, might have been when I was in New Zealand, I think, um, and you know, went through a, a, a pokey area to get back to the the main area that we were sitting. And it, it struck me that uh, I've always thought, you know, pokies tend to appeal to the, uh, an older demographic. But you always used to see, you know, a bunch of blokes in in sort of, you know, uh, whether it be, a you know, a sporting club uniform or something who've been out for a night and thought, oh, let's just go and throw 20 in. Are they less likely now to be doing that? Because it, it, it just seemed to be that it was just the older people. So yeah. that, and am I brave, maybe drawing too long a bow to say that well they're not like as likely to to try to do the same to get the same result on a smartphone or a tablet at home they well, still that's the thing and when when you look at like there was a like Lion Link or Dragon Link or you know um, Diamond Link or something that, that just didn't mean anything to me but the pokey machine companies you know now it's not just a standalone pokey where you just sort of sit there and hit buttons, um, they're, they're all linked. So there are progressive jackpots um, between all of the, the things. The pubs and clubs are essentially mini casinos these days. And that really sets a tone for a venue. When you walk in, they're, they're designed to 
and there are actually manuals on how to set up your pokies room so you don't want natural light coming in, all of these things, so people lose track of time. Hide the clocks. Yeah, how, yeah, how yep. long they've been there. And you, you don't have that old, um, you know, pub that maybe has two or three in the window that, you know, if you've just sort of got your change, you sort of feed it through and have a bit of a, oh, look, I you know, sort of won five bucks, I'll buy myself another beer, or, you know, it was only two bucks. They are mini casinos designed to extract... Um, you know, huge volumes of money. When you look at the amount of money that is turned over hourly in places like Queensland, it, it, it's actually quite frightening. And, uh, you know, so I think it attracts a certain type, um, a certain personality, but then excludes anybody because they are they, they set such a tone over a, an establishment. They do exclude so many people. And I think that's one of the things that's driving the growth of the brewery taproom um, at the moment is... They're the sort of place where you can go have a beer, you know, have a feed, um, and ha- and have a relax and, and have a chat. Must have been around about this time last year, was it? I think um, Sydney Beer Week, and you and I popped into the Lord Nelson, and I remember walking in, and it was uh, was it midweek, it, whatever it was, it was absolutely heaving. Um, about an hour after we got, I'm not saying you know it was necessarily because you know, we got around that we were there, but. Um, there were young, there were old, there were tourists, there were foreigners. And the thing that struck me was that there was just a real great vibe. And it was interesting that Claire spoke to uh, Blair Hayden from the Lord Nelson, um, who said that there'd been a revival in hotels that are food-driven um, and not relying on on gaming as their primary source of income. And that was that was it writ large. So I don't know whether it's and, – and look, we just don't – I don't just don't go to pokey venues – in Melbourne, I'm more likely to go to, you know, a stomping ground, a, a local tap house, a um, foresters, uh, any of the number of, of pubs that are just, you know, catfish, perfect example um, of it's just a great place to be and you don't miss the pokies. So and, that, yeah. and that's one of the funny things about Queensland and I, I really want to sort of do some research into why that is, but I, I, th- I think it is around the contract um, which is another thing that banks actually buy with what's your rebate um, level and pokies that makes hotels the old school hotel um, such a big establishment as we've talked about you know, the bigger you are the less you appeal to um, a, a community um, and the, the, the more that you just you know have to run your cheap drink cheap food um, primos to, to get a group of people in who are pretty much there to party, not socialise. Um, and that changes the, the, the vibe of the venue. So we don't have the sorts of pubs in Queensland that you guys have got in, in Melbourne, and I think it's those sorts of things that do it. So, yeah, no, it was a great story from, from, from Claire, um, which is really uh, putting some um, good pieces together. Getting the runs on the board. Well done. And absolutely not clickbait. And, and well that's the thing about those sorts of stories is that they, you know, they, 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 they don't generate a huge reaction or a response, but they are still very important pieces of journalism. And I think our listeners are, uh, are switched on enough to appreciate that the, the difference between that and, and clickbait. Exactly. Um, Matt, the rules have been tightened on alcohol home delivery. Um, the code came into effect at the beginning of this month, banning unattended same-day deliveries. This is things like Tipple or um, are there Jimmy other ones? Brings. Yeah, Jimmy Brings. So basically you you ring up and you're having a, a dinner party or whatever it might be and you realise, oh, no, I thought we had two more bottles of wine and another six-pack, but no, we're out. Uh, we'll get them delivered uh, to the to the house at a you know reasonably inordinate fee, exorbitant fee. Or is it cheap? I don't know. It's not I, the sort I, of thing I, I'm I, not I'm actually always used it, but well um, Sam uh, from, uh, who runs the commercial side of uh, Beer Matt and Bruce News um, is, is a frequent user, but he, he said that you know, like he'll he'll order it online, and uh, as he said, he's had a um, like a debit card since he was about fourteen. So you don't you don't need a credit card or any proof to be eighteen. Um, you ordered online, and it was just dropped at his back door um, as requested. No ID checks, and you know, God, I, I can imagine what it would have been like being sixteen on school holidays if you had that freedom. Um, you know. Uh, back when I was a kid. It's an interesting one because it's just occurred to me now that I've had three beer deliveries in the last two weeks, um, only one of them when I was home. Uh, and I do I do recall one time, I think, and not all we've had to sign for, but, you know, one my daughter got because uh, I was in the shower, uh, but others I've come home and, and it's just been there 
So I wonder whether, you know, your Australia Post or your, you know, fast track deliverers, whatever it uh, may be, um, are not covered by the code? Because it, 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 the, the new code requires um, so unattended same-day delivery. So I don't know whether that – does that, well, yeah. So it's different if, 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 a, if a brewery has sent me something. And, and to be fair to the to old mate, um, my regular bloke who, who does the deliveries for uh, Australia Post, um, there's not necessarily – apart from a, a fragile or handle with care sticker, there's nothing – they're not particularly, you know, it's just a, a blank, you know, like a wine box or sort of thing. So it's not, it doesn't say ABC Brewery all over oh, the side. And, or, and that's breweries who are sending out demos. This is different because it's Yeah, it's just designed to be drunk there, there and yeah. then. Yeah, yep. And, um, and, and it seems to be that this is, you know, so like you, you, you can't just, um, like you can't be off your rocker and then go order more um, and they, they need to sort of, on the same day, so it's trying to put some sense of responsibility, um, you know, RSA practice around deliveries to equate with if you were walking into a bottle shop or if you were in a pub. Yeah. Um, but again, this is a voluntary code, and uh, you know, I don't uh, CUB hasn't signed up to it yet from memory, um, and it, it, it's some of the, the the retailers, and this is the equivalent of ABAC for beer delivery services. It, it, it seems to be a voluntary code where the industry is trying to create rules to show that they're responsible before rules are forced on them. Yeah. Is this basically just the, the 2019 version of, you know, the the four 16, 17-year-olds around the corner asking an adult to duck into the bottle shop and buy them a six-pack? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I, 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 I think that's it. And, you know, so it's just the, the technology now is different that I don't have to hide around the corner and you know, I can just ring up and use a deep voice. Well, you don't. You just oh no, because you order online. Yeah. That's the thing. You, you order online. You've got a. You know, so I could, I could write. I could write it in my in, in a flog voice, and they wouldn't know. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, it's so it, 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 it's it, it, alcohol delivery is rapidly um, expanding, apparently, and um, it, it, it's just trying to put some rules around it that will equate to what it would be like if you were in a bottle shop. Yeah. All right. Well, that's. Technically, that's the news for the week. Um, but our mailbag, our first mailbag uh, entry, and don't forget, please uh, send in via all of various means and methods uh, at your disposal to send us your thoughts. And thanks to uh, good friends at Beer Cartel, all letter writers will receive a Bruise News bottle opener and go in the draw to win a mixed six pack. And that's all thanks to Beer Cartel, who sponsor our letter of the week. And no, I don't think there are any plans to switch out the bar blade for those stupid-looking shower beer holder stick-on <laughs> things. Thank you to everyone who, who, that with who you. tagged me <laughs> in that. Um, so, yeah, don't forget to review us on iTunes or send us an email um, to be in the draw for the letter of the week. Um, and our first one from Matt Quinton. And this one, I think, is, yeah, this is something very dear to my heart. And it's it's possibly something that we have a bit of a chat about rather than just read out the letter, Matt. So that's why this is kind of still part of the news, I think. Okay. It's going to be a long one today. So it, 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 to, to any of our listeners that are running um, <laughs> at the moment, you've, right, got at least or, another, right. you've at least got another K or two in, in, in your own. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm noticing a new trend pop up on the We Love Craft Beer and Craft Beer Crew Facebook pages. The topic is beer clean glassware and proper glass treatment for beer, in particular, beer venues serving beer in notably dirty glasses. <laughs> Could be a topic of discussion for the podcast. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Matt. There's nothing wrong with washing your glasses. It's as simple as that. Yeah, and, and I, I think there's a lot of snark in the Facebook where people sort of you know, love don't to be the ones to in the dishwasher. Don't use, never use detergent. Or they they just love to point out the, the guy who's just taking a photo of his photo, you know, and you've got all of the bubbles up the side. Yeah. And he doesn't know that that means it's a dirty glass. Um, yeah. and so it's, a clean, it's a clean glass, but it's not beer clean. It's not beer clean, yes. But that, that, that's it. I have two very simple rules, Matt. One is, and all my family know, beer glasses are for beer only. I don't want to say it because once you put no milk, milk. Yep. OJ, anything else in them, you are building up films that, that are harder to, to get off. And secondly, nothing wrong if you've got good, decent glassware and a, a proper dishwasher that, they, you know, near stack it properly, um, wash them in the dishwasher. Um, all my glasses before I use them for beer, whether they're straight out of the dishwasher or straight out of the cupboard, is I rinse them in, in, in water anyway. And that's just, yeah, just to get rid of it because it might, it might be that your glass is clean, but it might be dusty. Yep. 
and that'll create all those little nucleation points. But anyway, we can maybe talk about that later. But uh, yeah, very keen to hear listeners' thoughts on um, on what's a beer clean glassware. Uh, Matt from the uh, Facebook group, do you want to read out the one from Evan O'Brien, who's a long term uh, fan of the program? Yep, a recent visit to Dan Murphy's, I was approached to trial out a bunch of non-alcoholic beverages from all genres. I had a Bilpin cider, Heineken Zero, a gin, a red, a white wine. The gin was the worst. It was basically pickle juice. The rest just like <laughs> body to it. It's obvious now that there's a big push for these beverages, and I'm not sure if it is for drink drivers out there or health conscious, even though these would uh, have more sugar. Either way, it's interesting Dan's is grabbing all the people from the aisles to show them these drinks. Anyone uh, else been approached or have tried much of these? I'm interested to get the German brewed ones uh, who've been out there for quite some time. And I, I, I come back, there are two things about that. One, mate, for all of the talk about alcohol-free beers, it seems to be producer push as opposed to consumer demand because I'm yet to see. I've seen people in our Facebook group um, post photos where they, you know, because we've created a bit of awareness about them, they've gone out to try them for themselves. Yep. Um, and so I don't count that as being necessarily inverted commas in the wild, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm yet to see to, to be in a pub and have someone go up and sort of say, "Oh, look, what alcohol-free options have you got?" Um, you know, yet to see somebody walk out with a six-pack um, of alcohol-free beer in, in a bottle shop. So um, I, I still think that beer is under a lot of pressure. Um, retailers and uh, producers are looking to innovate and create options for people who potentially are living a healthier lifestyle. But as Evan says, I, you know, prof, I, um, motivated by Jane Lewis, uh, I've had seven days, up until last night, I'd had seven days without a beer um, or w- without a drink um, as part of my damp July. Um, and, uh, yeah, look, I, I've been drinking uh, a lot of, like, ginger tea and water. Um, because I just don't feel the need. If, if I, as I say, if I want a beer, I want the, those endorphins. I want the, uh, you know, the the the, the lower the stuff um, that beer gives you that others do, that other stuff doesn't. The, 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 uh, the slight warming uh, cuddle that uh, uh, a moderate amount of alcohol gives. Easy, champ. <laughs> no, funnily enough, um, the, the, the 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 professor um, when when I was talking to him. The, the other things in uh, our primate uh, ancestors that stimulate the same sort of things as having a beer um, or a wine, um, to, to be fair, is preening. So when you see monkeys preening each other, that has an endorphin rush associated with it. Um, you know, laughing, singing, uh, provide an endorphin rush. Um, and so I said to him, so, it's, so a beer is kind of like a cuddle. And he corrected me. So I said, well, a cuddle at a distance. <laughs> So a virtual go. cuddle. So, so there's the title of our podcast, Prof, A Cuddle in a Distance. <laughs> Iconic. Um, uh, from James Davidson in the Facebook group, uh, apropos of uh, what you were just talking about, Matt, the length of the podcast, close call this morning in the battle of Friday morning exercise versus Good Brews Week podcast duration. <laughs> I was barely halfway through my run, uh, brackets plotting, when Matt and Pete started talking about wrapping up the episode and that they were done with the news for the week. So I tried to pick up the pace. Then when I finished my 4K loop, I arrived home and discovered it wasn't even halfway through the episode. There was much waffling still to be done. Thanks for the mid-run scare slash boost, guys. Well, you're welcome. Well, James, yeah, you're you welcome. And it's nice that we can do something to promote beer as part of a healthy lifestyle. And, and James is, a, is, is actually run a marathon, I believe. Half for a full. I know that uh, back in his day he was a, a very uh, keen runner. So yeah, yeah. he's getting back into it and that we can help him along. I think too, yeah, the, the country lifestyle, although he did, he did point out he's heading up, he was looking at um, uh, weather booked, forecast up your way. He's booked he's, on Sunshine Coast Craft Brewery Tours. He's, uh, our yeah. good friend Josh Donahoe is going to be uh, taking him around uh, for, for some breweries and we recommend anyone else. Josh doesn't sponsor the program, but he's a damn good guy. Um, and uh, if you're up on the Sunshine Coast and you should be, go do a brewery tour with him. Yes, he's a, good, a good, good bloke for good beer and I've just been corresponding with him. Because uh, he's popping down to Melbourne very generously to lend his assistance back a house uh, for the Indies and um, and Brewcon, so excellent. excellent. Thanks, Josh. Shout out to him. Uh, and yeah, James was just sort of pointing out far nicer weather up your way, Matt, than the minus ten degrees that he's experiencing <laughs> in and around bright early mornings just at the minute. Okay, oh, it's a bit chilly um, up here. Oh, what is it like? Twenty four. Twenty two degrees. Oh, twenty two. Oh, good. You guys. Bit of wind. Losing your shit. Bit of wind. 
God, I tell you what, open a pop-up beanie shop. <laughs> no, because then you lose them all, don't you? Because you leave them lying around, you forget, you know, when it's... Because you don't need them. Well, it's got a 23 now, I'll take the beanie off and I'll leave, leave it behind at the restaurant with my umbrella. With your umbrella, exactly. <laughs> uh, on that note, thank you very much to all of our supporters and sponsors and the people who make this program possible. Thanks very much to you, Matt. Thank you very much to you, Prof. It's been a great, another great episode. Thanks for enjoying it with us. But as I say every week, I, leave, I reserve my most heartfelt thanks to all of the listeners who engage, who listen, who give us feedback, who uh, send us stuff and alert us to various news on uh, either Australian Brews News or the Radio Brews News Facebook page. Thanks very much for that and keep that up. Thank you to you all and we shall see you again next week. And we're out. Don't forget, if you like what we do here at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You'll find details in the show notes. You can also review us on iTunes or whatever your favourite podcasting service happens to be. Let us know what you think and help others find and discover our shows. Finally, you can tell us what you think about what's going on in the beer industry by emailing us at producer at brewsnews.com.au. All letters received will receive in return, as by way of thanks, a Brews News bottle opener. And thanks to our very good friends at Beer Cartel, the letter of the week will receive a mixed six-pack of great Australian beer. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because, as you may have heard, beer is a conversation. <laughs> <laughs>